does it take for you to believe in Christ? Do you need something visual? Do you need the visible, the tangible, like Thomas? Or do we live by faith? Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We're back in our series, Life Forever in Christ, here in John chapters 20 and 21. That's where we catch up with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, for today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. It's simply entitled, What Will It Take For You To Believe? Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's program. Turn to John 20, and we'll pick up at verse 24. What will it take uh, for God to make you believe Him? What will it take to make anyone believe in Jesus Christ? Are you aware that there's about around 7 billion people on the planet now and maybe 1 billion of them maybe um, maybe born again believers whatever let's, let's say that so 1 out of 7 people don't believe Jesus is the Christ they do not believe he's the son of God and they do not have eternal life just if we were operating off of those figures I can't prove that every one of that 1 billion saved but let's just operate off of that if it's 7 billion people and 1 billion professed believers on the planet, there's a whole lot of people uh, that have not put faith in Christ. A whole lot of people are not yet convinced. So I ask myself, uh, what will it take for God, us, to convince somebody of who Jesus Christ is and convince you so well you put your faith in him? Do any of you have that formula? Well, John has written a book, unlike any of the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His material is selected. He picks eight stories not found in the other Gospels. And he's lined them up, lined them up, and he's got one goal in mind. And it's the theme of this book. This book, like 1 John, you don't know the key why the book was written until you read at the back. And you'll see it as we read the passage. Let's begin. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was not there that first Sunday. So you never know what you miss if you miss service. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands and the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We want to look at uh, several things here as we wrap up this. Uh, we only have another chapter in the book, but here's where he hangs out the key to the book, the purpose. I'm going to look at three things. The purpose for which the book was written. We'll examine that closer. Two, the proofs that John rallied together to show Jesus to be not only the Christ, but Jesus to be the Son of God. Those rallied. What did he do to prove that? And it will be a review of the book because this is the whole message of the book. And finally, we'll just look for a brief moment at the patience of God with unbelief. The patience of God with a doubting Thomas. He couldn't have been kinder to him for his, I won't believe. And Jesus actually accommodating and gives him unmistakable proof of who he is. Let's look at uh, the purpose of the book and get that kind of ingrained in our mind. Why did he write this book? He wants you to show you the signs. He wants you to come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe he is the Son of God, and he wants you to believe. There's two reasons this book was written. One is evangelistic, and the other is apologetic. One, I want you to believe. I'm writing this book so that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you read it just as literature, if you read it just as history, and you never put faith in Christ, you will have missed the purpose and the intent of the book. So this is why we often are giving this book to say, well, tell a, a, a new person, tell them to read the book of John first. Did you know the book of John is the most difficult of the four Gospels? It's the hardest one to understand as far as the great theological treasures of it. Just get in John 5. A camp a little bit in John 10, John 16. Uh, it's profound theology, but we give it to them because he said this is the purpose for which it was written. So, in that, uh, if this is the purpose, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, Yeshua HaMashiach. I want you to believe this is the promised Messiah of the prophets and the Psalms. This is who he is, unmistakably. Not another claiming one, not another itinerant prophet, whatever. He is the Messiah. He's the unique Messiah. Then he says something else. I want you to believe that he is the Son of God. Now, what in the world does that mean, Son of God? You see, when we think of Son, we think of progeny, we think of procreation, uh, we, we think of somebody spun off, this offspring. But the word Son in Scripture is used four different ways, of four different groups is this term used. Sons of God were used to refer to the angels in Job 1 and 2. 
In the morning of creation, the sons of God sang at creation. They went into the hallelujah chorus as they saw God spinning out the Milky Way as God created in those six days. They were in awe and they were singing. They were just overwhelmed. So angels are actually called sons of God. Now what's interesting, you don't procreate angels. They weren't ever procreated. They never just spun off. They were created, no procreative power. So he's using that as a special category. Then he used son of God to speak of the nation of Israel. I have called my son out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. 1. Uh, they are my firstborn son. No other nation did he ever call his son. But he called Israel his son. He called Israel his firstborn. And whether you like Jews or not, God said, that's my firstborn people of all the nations, just as nations. And I've got special promises I've made to them. I've got a Messiah coming to them. I'll bring the scriptures through them. And I've got a kingdom program I'm going to fulfill to them. I'm going to fulfill it to Abraham, to David. I'm going to keep my promises to Israel. Treat them like my firstborn son. Double inheritance. Then, when you come to the New Testament, you've got us being called sons of God. Now, those who are born again are now in the category of a son. What's the difference of being a child of God and a son of God? Have you ever thought of that? There's places we're called children of God. There's places we're called sons of God. What's the difference? Well, this is the difference. A child may not uh, be entitled to the firstborn inheritance. A child simply means a birth relationship. Son was the position of privilege. And Galatians says that. We're no longer under babysitters and under tutors and mentors. We are treated like sons. We have adult privileges. We have all the blessings of the household. So you have given this great status of being called a son of God. By the way, this is so important that on your worst day, the Spirit of God is the one yelling in your spirit, you're a son, you're a son, you're a son. You don't realize that, but it's true. Galatians 4 says, the Spirit cries out loudly. And Romans says, he's witnessing to my spirit. You are a son. Act like it. You are a son. And if you've never heard that, maybe you're not. Because it's a work the Spirit does in every believer. And it's not tied to your gender. Even a sister is called a son of God. You've been born to privilege. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, what is he? Some said he's a spinoff. God procreated him somewhere. At some point in time, he began. Not so. John began the book. In the beginning, while all things were there, he was already existing. He's eternal, never had a beginning. It's used when he called God his father. Look at uh, John 5, 5, um, 16. Jesus healed the man at the pool. He just didn't do it on the right day. You know, you, you got to be sure you keep your religious calendar up. 
And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. I don't think we'd think a thing about that if right now you said, my father. Did you know what? We're never told to call God my father. It's our father. We're in a community relationship. This is unique. Now watch. The Jews were offended by him saying that. God is my father. They got mad. Look what they did. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And notice how they understood it. Making himself equal with God. Now, why didn't Christ correct their misunderstanding? Wouldn't that have been simple? Oh, oh, you don't understand. I'm not saying I'm equal with God. Oh, yeah, I am saying that. There's nothing to correct. And then if you read the rest of the chapter, he goes on to say, you know what? God, can, the Father can resurrect, so can I. God the Father, matter of fact, he won't even judge anybody. He's committed it all to me. The Father can do something, I can do it. He never refuted it, he just waited in. Absolutely, I am equal to the Father in authority and deity. John 10, 10, I, 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Oh, that's interesting. How is that possible? Is God the Father and the Son the same person? How could they be one? They're one in unity. And the word for one is neuter here. They're one thing. They share the essence of God. I and the Father share the same essence. We're one thing. We're God. I'm not the same person as the Father, but I'm of the same deity. I am God. He's God. So we're not duplicate persons. So this whole book is written, say, I've written this book in order that you may say, Jesus, the human Jesus, fulfills the office of Messiah, Christ. Two, I want you to know that this Jesus is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Can you uh, believe in Jesus and buy other gods? Can you be saved and not believe in a Christ that is deity? That question came up in the first service. Someone says, can you be saved and not believe in his deity? Can you be saved and also go into the Muslim religion? Can you be saved and buy a lesser view of Jesus than what John portrays? Now, what did John do to defend his position? He gave eight signs, eight miracles. He turns water to wine. He heals the nobleman's son. He heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. He feeds 5,000 people in John 6. Uh, he raises Lazarus in chapter 11. Uh, he raises himself from the dead. In chapter 21, there's going to be a miraculous drought of fish that he does. He selects these miracles. Only God could do this. Only a man from God. Then, all through this book, he rallies the witnesses like he's in court. There's John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived among men. He said, I'm Messiah. I'm the Lamb of God. He announced it. I led a man to Christ in John 3, Nicodemus, a self-righteous Pharisee. John 4, I led a fallen woman to Christ. 
John 5, I got a man at the pool who'd been there 38 years well. On and on, I got these witnesses. The Father witnesses to me throughout the book. The Old Testament prophets, he said, witness to me. Over and over and over. Now let me ask you, what more do you want? As though God needs to waste his breath proving to you anything. What would I have to do if you came and said, I don't believe you exist? Tell me that. Well, let me please do it. I, I want you to believe I exist. And look at God. What does God have to do to prove to you that he really exists and that he's got a son called Jesus and that he's the only way to eternal life? How, how has God communicated to us? His word, creation. He's hung out his signature on all of creation. He's given his word through prophets, through inscripturation, through the apostles. I mean, when you think about it, let, let's just see this. Well, I would believe if you gave me more proof. Is our problem that there's not enough proof? That's all I'm saying. Why is it that people don't accept it? No matter with irrefutable proof. Because of the fallenness in us that we're darkened to the things of God. That the natural man does not welcome the things of God. But God has gone out of his way. Gone out of his way to give us the proof. To give us the proof. I'm not asking you to believe something that I didn't authenticate by signs. Authenticate by witnesses. Uh, or do something like this. You remember when he came... They, they came to get him in the garden. Jesus did this. Uh, the guard spoke, uh, trying to get Jesus. Uh, I'm looking for Jesus. And Jesus simply said, I am. Uh, what did they do? Then you try that. A policeman's going to arrest you. And you just simply say, I am. Just say, just say, I am. See what effect it has. No effect. This was an evidence that that I am term, I am, goes all the way back to Exodus 3. Because he revealed himself by a different name to the patriarchs than I am. Not to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he appealed a different name. But when he met Moses at that bush, he said, the I am is talking to you, Moses. The I am that I am being. It's a Hebrew word. It's hard to get a handle on it. It's the verb to be. I am being what I am being. I am eternal. I'm unchanging. I am being what I will be. I am being what I will be. I am being what I will be. I am the I am God. And so seven times in the book, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am. I am. I am. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? The Jew did. Because they knew I am. Ego I me in the Greek. They knew that phrase right there. You don't go around saying you're I am. Unless you are. And so John says, I've written my book to show you that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now here's an interesting thing. What does believing mean? 
What does believing mean? Is it pure factual believing? I believe the facts. That's, that, you have to start with facts. What are you asking me to believe? So we start with knowledge, factual data. Give me the case. What are you asking me? Okay, here's the data you're asking me to believe. So just pure knowledge, and I'm afraid many people have been uh, so-called saved because they said, I believe Jesus died, buried, rose again, and they're not saved. But they know the formula. They said they believe it. They believe the facts. I believe the facts all my life. Raised in a Christian home. There's never been a time I need anyone to tell me the gospel. Tell that to the pagan kids. But I'm still going to hell. I was still lost. So I didn't get more information the night I got saved. I didn't say, Ooh, uh, I just found out Jesus uh, died. I just found out he's... No, I didn't find that out. I knew it all my life. I believe that. I, I, I would argue with the guy on the street. Don't bring up God. Don't say God damn when we're out. You can say SOB, but don't say God damn. Why? I had a God consciousness from my family. I didn't mind all the other terms. Do that. But don't bring God into it. Don't bring God into this. I'm going to hell, but I know who I'm rejecting. I knew who I was rejecting. Wasn't in the dark. So there's three parts that the Latins developed over the concept of believe. And they use three Latin words, gnosia, essentia, and fiducia. And this is the three concepts that they unload from believe. One is facts, notion, the facts of the case. The second one is assent. Uh, I'm convinced these facts are true. And I give uh, consent. Subjectively, I resonate with it. It is true. I have the assurance that it is the truth. But you still haven't touched the will. It's only in fiducia that we get the word for rely. A commit. Trust. Trust. That something in me says, I will trust what I have revealed in these facts. Now, here's something interesting. What, what saves? Let me ask you this. What saves? The facts Jesus died, buried, rose again. Do those facts save or does the person save? Does just Jesus died, buried, rose again, does that save you? Now, he said these people were saved unless they believed in vain. The issue is you don't throw out the gospel. But the gospel must reach through the facts to the person. It's the person that saves. The person. And the person knows when in your heart you've assented to the facts. And in your heart, person, I am taking Christ personally as my Savior. I'm relying on him to save me. Because that's the only way, according to John, you could ever have eternal life. Taken from John, chapters 20 and 21, our series is called Life Forever in Christ. It's the epilogue based out of John 20 and 21. The entire series available for a donation of $10 or more when you contact us here at Truth For Today. 
And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. If you would like to contact us to obtain a copy of today's program, or if you would like to donate $10 or more for the entire series, you can do so by calling 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, That's here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Again, that's 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code 94547. If you'd like to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our service times are at 9 and 11. Directions and more information are available on our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. Or simply call 855-833-9864. And please, remember that this is a listener-supported ministry. Through your donations and your generous support financially and prayerfully, we're able to continue this ministry here on KFAX. We look forward to partnering with you as we continue the ministry of God's Word and the Gospel of Christ here in the Bay Area. If you'd like to know more about how you can participate, help, and be a part of the ministry, feel free to call us at 855-833-9864 or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org, and drop us an email. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Hercules.